Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, Drancher, the Canucks lose a critical game against Anaheim and then win a critical game against Seattle as we open up our first episode of the VanCast for this week. They're still treading water. They've won three of their last four. But listen, before we get to any of that, the Canucks start last night 11 seconds in. Tyler Mott with a goal, but we got to give full credit for this goal to Jugbreed Bajwa, who sang the anthem. What a riveting version of the anthem, and that got everybody in the building pumped up. 100%. He gets the primary assist on the Tyler Mott opener. Um, he's the best. He should be the full-time anthem singer. That's just my take. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I, you know, I, and I didn't realize he's a fan of the show, so uh, uh, we we texted or we tweeted earlier today, and uh, good for him. You know, I was debating last night whether, yeah, whether or not... We, we were debating last night as to whether or not he was pulling off the glasses. Because for me, whenever someone wears sunglasses indoors, first thing I think of now is, could Joe Burrow have pulled it off? Right, and you know, I, I say yes. Yeah. I thought they were. I thought they were absolutely fly. There you go. Match the suit. Everything. Either way, yeah, like the beautiful. pipes were fantastic. So it was, <laughs> it it was, was funny because I commented to Harmon when we first saw him sing yesterday, and I said those glasses, and I gave him one of those. You know where you make a zero with your um, thumb and your index finger. You know, and then the three fingers up, like the okay the sign. Okay sign. Like, yeah, I was like, that is. Uh, those glasses are nice, and Farhan was like absolute, or sorry, Harmon was like absolute fire. And then two seconds later, you lean over and you're like, I'm not sure about those glasses. So and I'm he, like, I love them. Is he pulling them off? <laughs> you know, and for me, you know, I'm not the Corey Hart sunglasses at night type guy. So yeah, well, they were a conversation starter anyway, right? No, but it, you know, like I said, when you're singing that well, the rest of it's details, right? Yeah, exactly. The, the, the pipes, first and foremost. Uh, man's got a tremendous instrument and, and a great guy. Uh, I love hearing him sing the anthem at games. There you go. And clearly Tyler Mott liked it. We'll get into the second line in a bit. But look, the big don't, story. Don't love the yahoos cheering every time the word free comes up in the anthem. Though. Oh, stop. Yeah. Stop that. Like, honestly. Stop that. It's a hockey fight song in that context. It's not. Anyway, whatever. Yeah. You know what? Everybody made their point. Fortunately, they're clearing Ottawa. Hopefully, we'll clear all the stuff in other parts of the country and we can kind of move forward with life. Uh, but um Let's uh, let's get into hockey uh, let's, and let's talk about the big takeaway coming out of last night's game first. And that was Elias Pettersson, who has been on a roll and 17 points in his last 15 games and certainly looks like the, the Pettersson that we've seen earlier in his career. And after the game, you know, we, we, all, we all asked him a bunch of questions and you asked him a question where, you know, you basically said that given the time that you've missed did it take you some time to realize how hard you needed to work to have the kind of success that you're used to having in this league? And, you know, he talked about the fact that he hadn't played for eight months and that he came into the season with his wrist still taped. And, mm -hmm. you know, that led to uh, you patting yourself on the back saying, I knew he should have been, that he was hurt. And that's what was leading to all of this. And it led to a bunch of people <laughs> trying to dunk on a bunch of people on Twitter saying, see, we told you he was hurt and you guys wanted him traded and, and so on. And 
and now you're here to apologize to me. No, no I, like I, I'm not because I never wanted him traded. So let's. Put, you are you are so right, Tom. Just say it; it's fine. No, no, not at all. Because <laughs> because for me, I, I think I think you were right with a small R, right? Yeah. Um, I I don't think that it's as simple as you know what it was made out to be when he was being criticized, or now that all of a sudden there's a blank slate. Because I think that's fiction. Because for me, um, understand that when your wrist is hurt, it makes you know, and I was willing to concede that, yeah, his wrist is hurt, but that should affect his shot. It shouldn't affect his drive. It shouldn't affect his ability to, um, you know, drive play to yeah. influence to, games. Yeah. yeah. To just, to just be into it. Fair. Right. And it, and he wasn't into it. And for me, I also put it into the context of what I saw in his game last year. And we know that, you know, the final 10 games before the injury, um, he, he had turned a corner. But there was a portion in the early part of the season where he was not himself then either. So when yes. you put two seasons worth of this into context, in my opinion, and listen, to be clear, I never at any point suggested that Pedersen should have no, been traded. You didn't. You didn't. I said, and nor did you nor did you suggest he would be assigned to the AHL. <laughs> no, like my point in all of this was I thought, you know, oh a player that I thought could have been a top five center in the National Hockey League, right? That a player yep. that wasn't going to be Connor McDavid generational, but still could be a big time franchise player. I had lowered my expectations to maybe yep. he would be, you know, a first line center in the league, but maybe not to the level I thought he was going to track to coming out of the first two seasons. That he'd still be really good but that he might not be that elite franchise player because enough time had passed and I'd seen enough that I thought, wow, like something here is beyond the wrist. And, mm. and again, it was not the shot. It was the play driving. So now we're seeing a lot of that again. Is he still, is he as dynamic in your mind is the last 15 games of Elias Pettersson as dynamic as the first two seasons of Elias Pettersson? Roughly. You think so? Okay. Yeah, you know, I so- do. I do. I do. I think the, I think there's more there. I think there'd be more there if the Canucks power play wasn't such a train wreck at the moment. Um, you know, I think there'd be more there if he was playing with higher caliber line mates. I think there's a lot that's sort of stacked against him at the moment. And so the fact that he's still looking like he did, to me, I I give him a lot of credit for. You know, one one thing one thing about Pedersen is there were percentages that were bound to regress, but you know, I, I'd admit too that there were times I'd watch him and think like, I can't believe what I'm seeing, right? Like I can't believe what I'm seeing. I'm so used to this player being this assertive, willful, imperious force at his best. And that was completely absent from his game. I think I do think, and the reason I framed the question the way I did is, you know, I, I talking to, and you remember I had a message in from a uh, elite rower, at one point earlier in the season who talked about missing time and that when you're in it and training every day and great, when you're an elite athlete, you almost forget how much work, like the work that you put into that becomes second nature. You just work that hard as a habit. And when you have to take time off, when you're forced to take time off and you come back, there's this mental block where you think you're working hard. And more than that, when you're told you're not working as hard as you have to work, you take it personally because you're like, my work ethic is beyond question. And it is. But mentally, there's this level that you're not hitting in terms of work rate um, on return from injury. And it takes you a bit to remember that part. That was what I was sort of trying to get PD to talk about. And he, did, he didn't, but he understood what I said. And I thought he gave an honest um, response, right? I mean... 
you know, there's there's a lot of built-in relationship there, right? That that I think matters in moments like that where you're trying to drive at something personal and even if they're not going to touch that directly, they're still going to give you something good. Um and and I thought that was a really insightful answer from Pedersen. Uh, last night, to which I appreciated, although his uh, his insistence on not causing headlines, yeah, I, I'd like amusing. him to, I'd like him to stop that. Like, just cause headlines, man. I need headlines. That's yeah. what I need. Please help me. <laughs> well, and, you know, I it's rare, you. right? Because in the current environment, right? Like we've had two games now and a few practices in between where we can talk to players in person again, but we're still not in a yep. one-on-one personal setting. It's better than Zoom. Yeah. No question. Far better. But as you know, like that's something you could have pulled out from him in a side conversation, right? Yeah, maybe. And well, and I, I'll, I'll take a run at that down the line, but. I still thought it was an interesting answer. Now, and and listen, put that into context as well. Like it was an interesting answer, but Pedersen himself wasn't giving himself the out that every fan is now going to, right? No, he was Because wasn't. he himself said, this took way longer than I wanted it to take and thought it should take, right? So Absolutely. he himself is not giving himself the out that everyone else will say, see, it was the injury. He himself hasn't said that. Like he's acknowledged that, yeah, there was a thing coming into the year, but it shouldn't have taken you know, 35 games. No. Well, and you know, the one thing I'd say is that there was a swagger to Pedersen that's been absent for a long time. And I tell this story sometimes, but it was the very first day of training camp prior to the 2021 shortened, the lockout shortened season where he started the year slowly. Right. And he was, shooting pucks and he was kind of just noodling around out there as opposed to having a plan and doing something with a lot of purpose. And I leaned over to Harmon and I told him and he'll vouch for this, uh, but I, and I said, there's something off. There's something off. That's not who we saw last season. Like he, he was so purposeful and focused with everything I saw him do in 2019-20, I remember coming away from the 2019-20 season almost on a daily basis, just watching Pedersen work in practice, watching him work in games, watching him rise to all these moments and occasions, watching him slam his stick in frustration when teammates missed him with a pass, that I thought, this guy is on track to be the type of player that his teammates are afraid to let down. Right. Like there's a core of steel here that I thought was really rare and that really significantly added to, you know, his potential value in this league and to this franchise. And one thing I'll say is I haven't seen that in the last two years. Right. I still believe in his game and his talent level. And I never was too concerned. I don't I think I was maybe the least concerned in this market about him figuring out his game among prominent media people, right? Like I never changed my perception of Pedersen as a player, but one thing I'll say is I do still think there's a level that he needs to hit in terms of being the type of person that drives a team to win. Right. And, and I think a lot about seeing Sasha Barkov in Florida And I remember thinking when I worked with him, and I love Barkov, obviously, but I remember when I worked with him thinking sometimes, like, is he too nice? Is he too nice to, like, rest, grab games by the scruff of their neck and just take them over, impose his will on the games? And I think that changed as he grew up a little bit, right? Like, in his mid-20s, 
I think the last couple of years, he's become that guy. He's learned to not be so nice. He's learned to just take what's his, right? To take the big piece of chicken. <laughs> and it's, you know, changed, I think, the way that that team composes itself, like to the point where I don't even think that team needs like a head coach, right? Like Joel <laughs> Quenville out and Brunette in, like who cares? Whatever. That room kind of runs itself. Like they are just going to keep winning. And, and I think Barkov, who's the captain of that team, is a huge part of that. Um, so he grew up in, in that way. And that's sort of the step I'm looking to see from Pedersen, especially because there was a time in 2019-20 where I was like, he's already ahead of a lot of elite players in terms of having this sense to him, this sense of, you know, uh, of uh, like this alpha sense of, of moment and of ownership of results and, and a single-minded focus toward that end. And I, you know, as much as his game has rebounded and as impressed as I've been by that, uh, as vindicated as I feel, Farhan, <laughs> by that, by that, um, there's still a level that I'd say I expected from him having watched him my first year covering this team that I want to see him hit now. Yeah, and you use the word swagger at the start of this point, right? And, and I feel mm-hmm. the same way. And that's what I've said. So maybe I've said the word dynamic, but... That's kind of, you know, you also earlier said to use the term willful, right? And those are the types of things that I saw early on. Like his first year, it was there in spades. His second year, it was there, but it was a little different in that his his two-way game, he became a more complete player and the production mm-hmm. was still there, but there may not have been the sexiness to his game that we saw in season one, but it didn't matter because there was an evolution there that was clearly taking place, right? And then- yeah. You know, in that shortened season, that's when things kind of changed a little bit, and um, and yeah, and you know, the production is back. But you know, when you when you talk about swagger and willful and and take the game by the scruff, yeah, I think there still is a level there he needs to kind of uh, build upon year two that maybe wasn't built upon in year three and four so far. Well, and let me let me give you a practical example right now. Bruce Boudreaux cites as one of the reasons why he's playing with Hoaglander and Pod Colson that they get along, and it's like that's not a good reason to no, play a guy with guys. It isn't. You know, like I want, I, I don't care if Pedersen's playing with his friends. I, I think it would be great if he was playing with people who were like terrified to let him down. But they might you know, be, right? Like, like those two guys might be, but he has to really but, pull but them up to need, a level. You need the 28 and 32 year olds on the team to feel that way, right? Like, I don't think the 28 and 32 year olds on the team feel that way about Pedersen, right? So that's the level. That's the next step up. That's the next level. Like a secret that no one will tell you about the NHL is that in the contemporary NHL, a coach and a GM can't actually hold the room accountable. It has to be an internal thing, right? Um, Look around the league at the best teams in the league and they have it internally. Uh, They have Nathan McKinnon, who's harder driving than anyone else, right? And Landeskog to lighten the mood, right? The Florida team, again, kind of coaches itself. (laughs) Like, you know, you have to have it internally. Uh, The Sedin Twins... I don't know that we understood it fully during their playing days, but I think we've come to had that in Vancouver, right? Their expectations, their standards were so high. Their their internal drive to one-up each other because of their fraternal bond, right? Trans Transmuted to the whole club, right? Made everyone level up, made everyone need to keep up. Um, that's what you need from your best players. That's what you need to take a real step as a core group in the NHL. That's the level now that I'm now that Pedersen's game is back, right? That's the level. That's the challenge for him now 
is taking that step from being a good player to being like the CEO of winning for an organization. And and that's you know, that's something where while my faith in his abilities and his skill set as a player never wavered, right? Uh, my understanding of the growth that he still has, like the, the areas for growth that he still has, um, you know, in, in terms of that side of the game, I think has changed over the course of the past two years. But I also still, I, I, I'm not like disabused of what I saw that first year. I don't think I was wrong. I just think it's not a straight line necessarily to figuring that out as a young professional in the NHL. So does that part of his personality, is it available in this locker room with the presence that JT Miller currently casts? That's a very interesting question. Well, I tend to ask those from time to time. Yeah, no, it's a very interesting question. I, I, I'm know, not we're not talking enough. about the cat. We're not talking about the C, no, right? Like we're no, not, but it's, JT it's not Miller a is a huge personality. My goodness, right? is he? Yeah. And I mean, and we think that, you know, like he, I'm sure that there were times early in the season when Pedersen was struggling and he had to look JT Miller in the eye. And everybody understood that this team's going to continue to struggle as long as 40 struggles. And that's a tough set of eyes to look into. Well, they haven't played much together in a long time. Right? Boudreaux's had commentary about playing Pedersen with Pod Colson and Hoaglander in part because they get along and in part because they don't put pressure on him. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think the, these breadcrumbs are tough to pick up although i don't want to go you know i don't want to go suggesting something i don't know about because i'm not around the way that i used to be right like i'm not around in the room i i can't take temperature the way that i would have in a normal season right so i don't want to get ahead of myself but you know also one of the climactic moments of the season was jt miller being asked by me right um is everyone buying in Right. I mean, that was sort of a huge moment in the season when you consider the timelines that we now know. Right. Which is like the push to hire Julian internally in late October and or late November and Francesco going to meet Jim Rutherford on Thanksgiving weekend, which was three days after that Pittsburgh moment. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like everything kind of fell fell off from there. Right. Like that does feel like a moment that changed the trajectory of how patient this organization was willing to be. And so, you know, I, I think there's, I think it's a really interesting question, but it's not one that I'd pretend to have an answer to. All I can do is sort of read between the lines of the public statements that have been made just because, you know, I don't have that ability to sidle up to a guy and have that off record conversation. Like I usually would. Well, lots to get into there, just, you know, in terms of what we saw and, you know, Bo Horvat's another personality and think and what we saw finally a goal from him last night, but where he is in all of this, but. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Drencher, let's talk a little bit about Bo Horvat. You know, we 
when you when you talk about the JT leadership element to the room, for whatever reason, these two players get tied into conversation all the time. I'm not sure it's necessarily a fair thing. Um, well, they're the two best players. Sure. Well, I mean, Pedersen's uh, there too, but I'm talking about... Oh, sorry. I, I'm, talking sorry. About I Horvat, talking about I'm talking about and Horvat and Miller because Horvat's consistency of production, you know, his play driving ability, his dragging the guys into the fights all gets equated with leadership. So when we see Bo Horvat not produce and in some cases not be noticeable, he's taking some heat. When the club looks at its core and says, Pedersen, Horvat, Hughes, and Demko are the core and others like Besser and Miller are not necessarily part of the core and get mentioned in trade talks. It leads fans to say, well, wait a minute. Why are we saying Miller can be traded, but not Horvat? And and so right. r- rightly or wrongly, there's been some criticism. Horvat generally has avoided criticism in this market, but there has been some since he's come back off injury. He scored last night. And, you know, we were talking before he got the goal about, like, how noticeable has he been in this game? And, yeah. you know, the underlying numbers for that line were ridiculous. But they haven't always been, right? Like, he's no, been, no, no. since he's come back off COVID. Last night, though, last night, though, it was like one of those things, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I don't know that Horvat's having a great game. And then I checked the numbers and they haven't been on the ice for a single shot attempt against. I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm, maybe I need to check that. Yeah, <laughs> they controlled it, play pretty well. They they did, but the entire team did, right? And and we'll get into how the how the but they crack- led the way on that. They did fair, but you know, Boudreau talked about getting the monkey off his back, and hopefully the goal did that. You had to check the underlying numbers because it, they weren't necessarily matching your eye test. And in past games, the underlying numbers have matched the eye test, right? Yep. So, what do we make of where Bo Horvat is at right now? I mean. My basic take on Bo Horvat hasn't changed at all. Like, first of all, I think if you've watched the last decade of games that this franchise has played and the last decade of off-ice moves, and you've come to the conclusion at this stage that, like, actually it's Bo Horvat's fault, you're off your rocker, right? <laughs> I mean, Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat is a very good player. And, and as we know, Farhan, I like very good players. Now, I do think that Bo Horvat has been consistently thrown into roles that are not ideal for him. Like I see Horvat as a really, really good two C. I see him as a Braden Shen analog as opposed to, you know, like he's a, he's a, he's a number. He's a second line scoring center who, because he's got a great faceoff percentage, people expect to be this two way ace shutdown guy. And that's just not who he is. Like, that's just not, he's a, he's a, you know, power forward type player, more of a goal scorer than a distributor and more of an offensive player than a defensive player. But, you know, that's who he is. But if that's who he is and he can't be a shutdown ace and he can't be a penalty kill guy as well, like if he doesn't have that, he's not not a penalty killer. But then he's got to produce at a higher rate and he's got to be more noticeable driving play at a higher rate. Like it's I mean, it's not good I, I enough to just say he's a second line offensive center. I don't disagree with you, but like on this team right now, on this team right now, he's um, you know, all over the place. He's their number one center in terms of ice time, right? As opposed to their second line center. He's you know, on he's a crucial part of their PK, which he shouldn't be. 
But he's also playing and, with the best players he's played with. Like we've talked forever. No, I, I get it. I get it. How, but you know, he's how bad still his not, line he's still not put. He's still not put in the slot that he should be put into. And it's like what you want to do if you want to get better is not lose guys like that, but to put them into a slot where they work, right? Like to find the center, to find the matchup third C who can take the PK burden off of him and, you know, take some matchup burden and try and get Horvat into into like the when Kessler was in his prime, right? He what did all did those with, things. No, no. But when Kessler's Kessler's best season is 40 goal Selkie winning season, they had Malhotra. The best season that Kessler had was the season where he was counted on to do the least defensive heavy lifting. But he still he killed was, penalties. He was, he, sure. And he was and he was a different type of player. But I'm just saying, like, if you can slot him into a role like that, that's when you'll get your the best out of Bo Horvat. I just think this organization has never put Horvat in a position to succeed to the fullest extent of his abilities. I think that's crystal clear. And so I just don't have a lot of time when he becomes sort of um you know not like a like an uh, like a scapegoat in this market considering that he's been a quality player and a quality person for an organization that's had far too few of both i think you're i think you're overstating the level of criticism i I'm don't not. i no he's not, not he's not it's, being a scapegoat it's, it's just his turn it's just his turn and well, when yeah, your team is this shit no but with this bullshit. team stop it this stop team, the it's this his team is, turn like this team it is wasn't bullshit. there nobody should be immune from criticism <laughs> no, nobody no, no, should be team, immune from criticism on a team that's bad immune I'm not saying they should be immune. Just like target the criticism where it should be. Yeah, targeted. but then you're saying that he shouldn't be touched. He, that, that no one should be criticizing no, him at all, and I'm that's saying, not reasonable. I'm not. That's not what I'm saying, man. I'm saying that I'm saying that the fundamental criticism that people in this um, or that people have for this organization needs to be directed at the organization, at the lack of planning, at the lack of tel- talent development, at the at the poorest drafting. Uh, with the exception of like a you don't three think year it window. Is? Like, you don't think people have been like all over Jim Benning and the organization to the nth degree. I, like the criticism I, I has been I, surely I, there. Not sufficiently. No, not wow. sufficiently. Okay. I honestly think, I honestly think the extent to which this team has been mismanaged for the last 10 years has been undersold and underplayed and, uh, and is an un- undertold story and, and element of focus. I mean, I think it's, it's something that I try and keep my focus on for that reason. Yeah, but you're you're. Like, a, I think I think this is a club that's failed Bo Horvat, not not a player who's failing their their club. Uh, Period. I, and 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 so for me, I just like you know he took two bad penalties last night. Well, one of them was soft, but one of them was bad. One of them was actually a selfish play. Um, he has he hasn't been great over the course of the past two weeks, but so often he's been excellent for a club that owed him more owed him more and so i just i can't get that worked up about it and and even now even now you know i'm not going to like the inevitability that was this club falling short right that was this club coming back to earth significantly from their december form you know they've won eight of their last 17 games um and that's with three of their last four having been wins like this team has not played good hockey since the calendar flip to 2022. They really haven't. Like you think about all the games that have been really ugly, like the Florida game, the Edmonton game where they're winning two nothing and let Edmonton back into it. Um, you know, the Calgary game where, where it's a one nothing Calgary win, but the Canucks have like four shots on goal. That San Jose Sharks last two periods, 
Like there's just an endless litany of underwhelming performances from this Canucks team over the course of the past two months. And now the team's falling short, which was inevitable. And people are looking to blame players. And it's not on the five or six good players that this team employs that this team sucks. Like that's, it's not on them. Um, you know, <laughs> like we're, we're not trying to find the guy who did this. We know, we know, we know what's gone wrong. And, and, you know, for me, the attention that this, the attention should be on, can this club avoid can't will can and will this club avoid making the same mistake that they've made repeatedly to paint themselves into this corner. And that mistake and that mistake is not conducting themselves with any sense of vision, right? Like in 2013, 14, right? When management tried to chart a course that involved rebuilding, they were replaced in 2017 or 2018. When Trevor Linden tried to chart a course that would keep the team rebuilding for longer, they were replaced now, now you've got management in and they're very careful, very careful for good reason to say that this team is not in need of a rebuild, but also talk at length about needing draft picks and needing young players and needing cap space. Like anyone who comes in and looks objectively at where this team is at knows what needs to happen. And, and it's that you need to take a step back. But clearly new management is being very careful about making that case slowly, about leading a, cor- a horse to water gradually. And it's just a reminder that while this coach and this management team don't have any skin in the game in terms of what caused this roster to be assembled and constructed the way they were, there still is a significant voice in the organization who did, right? Who did have a big hand in this. And, you know, the dynamic that I'm curious to see is while while the faces are different and the leadership is different, like, will this club deviate? from their usual mediocre approach to handling things under Rutherford's leadership. Does he have the juice to do what needs to happen? Because what needs to happen is this club needs to take a step back, needs to carve out 10 million in cap space, needs to rebuild their prospect pipeline and amass draft picks and futures so that they have currency to improve avenues to improve. And I think that's obvious. Like at this point, I think that's obvious. The idea of, you know, blaming Bo Horvat for this team, making missing the playoffs or failing to make a run like it's just it's just to me it's a sideshow yeah, it doesn't that's, matter it's, that's not what's happening like it's it's people aren't blaming bo horvat as the single problem from a fan's perspective you don't sit you watch hockey players you don't sit there and look at management and the underlying numbers on the players that were acquired for 82 games that's just not how fans are constructed so Elias Pettersson, you, your, you yourself have said that yeah like you, you know i need to see a little bit more Right. And he, there's a certain element that he's still got to get back to and track a certain way. And, you know, yeah, his wrist was hurt, but there was a, you know, there was a, a willfulness to his game and, and certain things that were missing. We're allowed to say that about Bo Horvat. He's not, well, he's not immune from sure. that. So from my perspective, do I think he's part of the core? Hell yes. Do I think he's part of the problem? Big picture? Hell no. Do I think they should trade him? No. Like the character level okay. is way too high. Then good. That then said, good. Then we agree. We do. But you, you say he shouldn't be criticized, period. And I think that's no, wrong because no. when his play. I'm saying the criticism of it, late. 
The criticism but of late has blaming, gone too far. People aren't blaming him for the reason. Like coming into no, the season, they, hang on, let me, are, let me have my run here. Coming right, into fine. the season, okay, <laughs> we all talked about how this top nine group of forwards was the best this club has had since the 20, you know, since 2012, 2013. Yep. This is the best top nine we've ever seen. We knew the defensive shortcomings. We knew there were going to be transition problems. However, we thought there was enough there, there that they were at least going to be able to score some goals and they had great goaltending and yeah there was shit in the middle on the back end but there was still enough there that we were going to see a little more than what we've seen offensively and the reality is all nine forwards have underperformed Rancher. like the numbers are there for JT Miller probably a little bit inflated by the power play as, as you pointed out to me before right um Pod Colson's expectations were low so you can't say he's underperformed but seven of the nine have underperformed based on what our expectations were and Bo Horvat happens to be one of those and he's allowed to be criticized accordingly and his line mates have been better than they've been at any point whether his slot is not what we'd perfectly like it to see and I think you can expect more from Bo Horvat because of the effort level that he gives on a nightly basis he should be able to shut down a little bit more his game we've talked about it for a long time about how he's got all the tools to be an effective penalty killer yet he's not right so like we are allowed to expect a little more from a player who's held in such high esteem in this organization and market nobody's expecting him to you know be an 80 point guy but we are like we're expecting a little more than, than you're well, expecting 60 sure and that's okay right like yeah so no, right now he's underperformed to that level you know like if anybody is suggesting that he's got to go and he's a big part of the problem i would disagree with them and, and tell him to like give your head a shake for some of the arguments that you said but when we talked about this off camera or off air you have said that don't criticize this guy at all. I, th I think that's fiction. He is allowed well, to be criticized no, just like the, every other roster player is because the performance the isn't there. The performance isn't there currently. Will he get back to it? Sure. But while the organization has let him down big picture for a long time, you are correct. Right now, I, I still think he's playing with good players relative to what he's played with before. So I do think we can expect a little more from him. Yeah. The So the other part of this, though, is a lot of Bo Horvat's peripheral numbers are unlucky right like his individual point percentage the lowest it's ever been um you know his his on ice shooting his personal shooting percentage it's all down and so i don't i never worry about that stuff like i think bo horvat's creating more than the numbers indicate like the counting stats the back of the hockey card is underrating what horvat is contributing uh for me um so you know that's part of it too like i i don't look at horvat as having been a 45 point guy in terms of true talent contributions this year i i look at him as being basically the same guy he's been forever just with um just with worse luck on a worse on a on a team that's constructed to make offensive players look bad unless the power play is entirely run through them and they play 20 minutes a game like jt miller um so that, you know that's a big part of it that's a big part of where i'm at with with horvat and with Pedersen too and with besser i mean go down the list and and the reason i defending all these guys is like first of all other than uh, other, when in all minutes when quinn hughes isn't on the ice i feel like they never get a pass in stride in the neutral zone secondly secondly everyone's numbers are down and you know what you know what it almost reminds me a little bit of that tort season remember coming out of that tort season and everyone was like higgins sucks 
you know, Yannick Hansen sucks. Like all these guys that had off years, the Sidians, what do they have left in the tank? Um, like part of the problem is the way this team plays makes a lot of these guys look a lot worse than they are. All right. Well, the power play for the Vancouver Canucks finally got a goal last night, looked a little bit better, and they went back to their more conventional setup with Hughes, just one defenseman in, not a defenseman on the flanks. Uh, you know, you've got you've got uh, Although they did on PP2. Sure, but so yeah, there's they, too much forward talent. There's too much forward talent yeah, on this team. I would for have that preferred to, to have case. seen uh, Hoaglander out there. You know what's bugging me? We got media members calling him a hoagie. Nobody calls him hoagie. It's hogs. I don't call him either. Well, the players call him hogs, and, and, uh, right. like or hogs, but they like what's hoagie? It's a bad sandwich. Okay, what do you do? You use any player nicknames? No, not when I address the players. players. No, I think I, I think I use Petey. That's it. Yeah, yeah, I probably said that before. But but usually I say Elias. Like usually I use his first name. But sometimes I'll slip into like Petey. But that's it. I thought I don't think I do it with anyone else. Um, power play. At least not that I can think. I certainly have never uttered Milzy. No, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't imagine saying that. No, oh, no, goodness. no, no. Um. Th- they got they got back to this setup and look this this setup has had flaws right like they've had their problems this season but it still seems to be the best opportunity for the most guys to be in the right spots to succeed does it not like why do you think it's taken this long to get to this point the the only thing i want to see is i want to see Besser on the flank and Miller at the net front me too that's like give me that why would why have we not seen that that the team went and feasted on everybody with that alignment in the first half of 2019-20 and then for some reason they went away from it and have never gone back and i i know that part of that is that miller is such a good playmaker from that from his downhill side that they started running everything through him but i feel like it's become a crutch you know like i I feel like even just to change it up um i'd love to see that especially because i like the idea of miller miller is the most unpredictable of the group and I like the idea of him in a retrieval role where he might just like skate into Pedersen or, or Brock Besser's sort of area of the ice and force them to find a soft area. Like I, I just, I, I want Miller down low. I want Miller down low and I want Brock on the flank. Give me that. I don't know why. I don't know why we never get to see it. I, I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, when, that's what I want. When you look at when you look at Miller, he just seems to be tailor made as a net front guy more so than than Besser yeah. when he gets into that spot. Um, it seems hundred percent, and and Brock's like figured it out, but it's not as natural. The other thing we're seeing with JT is he was back in the middle for this game. They've moved Jason Dickinson to the wing, and I think it's because they're they're trying to get three legitimate lines. And anytime you put Dickinson right now in the middle, like when he was between Pearson and Garland, like yeah, what are those two hole. guys doing at that point? Yeah. So Dickinson back to the wing. We, we chewed on this last night. Like, what do you do with Jason Dickinson? Like, it, it feels worse than Nate Schmidt in terms of a fit here. Yeah, it does. Like, I think in Nate Schmidt's case, a lot of it was personal and, and COVID and, and not being able to, you know, be the social guy that he wanted to be and maybe a disconnect with the coach. But this feels so much worse for a guy that was supposed to be the perfect fit as that third line center. What are their options here? Because this is probably an experiment you need to end soon, given what you're paying him. Yeah, I, I don't think he's going to I think he's going to be really hard to move. So I, I think you're most likely stuck considering either a buyout or finding a way to resuscitate his value next season. 
Um, the way that his contract is structured, it was backloaded, which makes it more buyout friendly. But even then, I think the the terms of that buyout are, are friendliest uh, a year from now, like not this summer, but the next summer. Um, that said, if you really need the cap space, like if you really want to be good in 2023, and I don't think that's a realistic goal for this team, and I don't think that's the approach they should take, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be buying out and stretching a cap hit into 2025, 2026 if I was this franchise. Like I would just be like, yeah, we're that, you know, that's, that's, that's when it matters to have maximum cap flexibility, right? Like down the line when we might actually be good. I, I think it's too steep a climb to build a contending team in one summer. You're going to need multiple years. So, um, you know, my view of it anyway would be that you need to accept that Dickinson is not a signature third line center. So long as you have Pedersen and Horvat on the team and they're part of your core, you need that signature third line center. You need a guy who can kill penalties. You need a guy who can win draws and and play in some matchups. Um, you know, I, I, maybe the club's on to something with Yuho Lamico. I think their thinking on that's probably evolved. Certainly, you can tell that Bruce Boudreaux has. Um, you know, is he an everyday player? I'm not sure, but he's certainly performing like an everyday player at the moment. And and I love to see it. Um, I love to see it from one of my favorite guys that <laughs> favorite characters in the league. Uh, so, but Drancher, listen, you talked earlier about how this club has let down Bo Horvath. Yeah. When Jason Dickinson got signed. You lauded that signing. No, I lauded the trade. Correct. Yeah. I was at a wedding. I was at a wedding when he got signed. I broke the contract details while my buddy walked down the aisle, mostly because I knew he'd get a kick out of the fact that I'd done that. But when, I wouldn't have done but that. The point if it was is, the when he was acquired, when he was acquired, I liked the trade. I liked the right? player. Yeah. But, and we knew that there wasn't much there offensively. Correct. But he was supposed I, I, to put Horvat in a position to be better. And Dickinson's defensive numbers and faceoff percentages and everything early in the season was not good at all. Well, the defensive the defensive numbers are actually stronger with Dickinson than you'd think five on five. Or at least they were in the early part of the season. I think he's spiraled a little bit since then. But I think he's been miscast as a signature third line center when really what he is is like a utility ninth or tenth forward. You know, like you want him to if he plays 10 games in the middle, fine. But really, you want him on the wing. Like I remember seeing him play center in a hard match against Braden Point in the Stanley Cup final with Blake Como and Andrew Cogliano on his wings and that line having a tremendous amount of success. And I was really high on him for that reason. Like he, he was rangy. You know, he wasn't fast, but he blanketed uh, a lot of players. He looked like um, he looked like he was a really disruptive defensive presence when I when I saw him in the bubble and and a big part of that Dallas Stars team, which was a boa constrictor. And I liked him as an upgrade at five on five over Sutter and Beagle. Now, the problem is, is that he's been so bad on the PK as, as a signature guy that it's sort of um, caused all of that value to be lost. But I still think there's a player there. I just think that it hasn't worked in his first year. And I, I think the organization needs to figure out a way to make it work better next season to give him the type of value that can that can avoid um, you having dead cap uh, or like dead dead buyout cap hit on your books um, in years where this team you know is hoping that it'll be really good. Yeah, it, you know because it, we're we're already getting into that discussion about potential buyouts, and you you wonder if they can resuscitate it, and and when's the time to. Uh, 
to cut bait, right? Because it right now it just looks so bad. Maybe it looks different next year, but we we've, we've seen that with other players, and it, it tends to not get better. Um, Travis right, Hammond, you have to figure it out. You have to find a way, you know, or or you have to take on another contract that's not working out for another team, but that fits your roster better, right? Like the, you have to find a way. You can't. We've never seen this franchise execute that particular maneuver. But that's a Jim Rutherford special. Like, why did you hire Jim Rutherford if not to bring that dynamic to your group? Uh, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, we, like, we've got to like, give him the opportunity to do that. But as you talked yeah. about, sometimes there's a hand above that, that that guides a little bit of this. Totally. But but that's the whole point, right? Like, if I think new management, new coaching staff, I think they've come in and they've restored confidence in this market. But that confidence will be contingent on us seeing this organization function differently, Right. And organizations have their own momentum as we inch closer to that March 21st deadline. It's now just four weeks out, right? Um, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm skeptical, but I'm very f- curious to see if this plays out in a way that feels familiar. In, like, is it familiar in a Canucksy kind of way? Or, or, are, or is it more reminiscent of what we'd expect from new Trader Jim? The real trader, Jim, as it were. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it's the latter, but I don't know yet. And and that certainly, you know, causes the hair on the back of my neck to stand a little. Quickly before we go, um, you know, I put less stock into last night's win. We were, we've got two games to talk about theoretically, and Saturday's game against the Ducks was horrendous. But you said, hey, look, give this team credit against Seattle because this Seattle team is better than you think. And they generally control play, something they didn't last night. But you you actually think they're better than the record indicates, the, the Kraken. Yeah, structurally, I think they're good. They limit chances against really well. Uh, they haven't had any saves, and I don't think they have enough high-end offensive pop. But, I mean, I watched them last night, like, through the neutral zone. You watch, you know, Everlay and um, Jan Gord and all those guys sort of work. Um, you know, I think they transition well. I think they have a a lot of really good physical defenders. Now I thought their defense, I think their defense is too immobile. I think they stocked up too much on that Alexiak Larson, Jeremy Lozon player type. I don't think they have enough speed. And I think that's why the Mott line gave them so much trouble. I I thought the Canucks four check uh, gave them a lot of issues last night. And and you never want to, the Canucks four check to be the four check that gives you issues. (laughs) Like that's a bad look. Um, so, so you know, they're not without their flaws, but they, like, it's one of those games that I always think is dangerous because the big edge that the Canucks have over the Kraken is high-end offensive pieces, right, and goaltending. But in one game, in one game, you don't know that those will necessarily show up. You don't know that that will necessarily make the difference, right? Um, and so I always think a game against a team like the Kraken who controls play better than Vancouver does but, you know, isn't as good, isn't as good because they don't have those other pieces. Um, I always think that's dangerous. Like, that's a closer game than it looks like to your average fan. And I thought the Canucks came out and beat the Kraken at their own game, at 5-on-5. You know, completely put the boot into them uh, in terms of controlling even strength play. I, I, You know, full marks. Like, I I don't see that as a win over a team they should beat. I mean, it was that too, but it was you know, a performance that mattered to me in terms of um, coming and, and truly showing up a team 
by playing a game that they're actually better suited to, to than you are and just executing it at a really high level for 60 minutes. I thought it was probably their best performance of this year, the 2022 year. Wow, high praise. And that takes us into a two-day break before a huge game against the Red Hot Calgary Flames on Thursday. We'll have our next show after that. Uh, so, yeah, that, we'll that Flames team is well-fed. We'll see. We'll see. You know, like they're well-fed. That game's going to mean a lot more to Vancouver than it will to Calgary. Yeah, no question. No question. Um, but Calgary is so good. And you know who's going to really enjoy playing in front of fans in Vancouver? Uh, Jacob Markstrom, Chris Tanev, Tyler Toffoli. Well, it's it's actually the first. Is it the first time that Tanev and Markstrom have been back with fans in the building? Uh, I, think it I think it that's is. A good question. I think it is. So that's kind of a big one. Like, I can't think of... You know, in, in Tanev's case, especially, right? I mean, there's no one who was a better soldier for this organization post Sedin Twins. You know, Edler, Edler deserves credit there too. But in terms of the difficulty of the minutes logged and the fearlessness with which he played, um, you know, Tanev deserves a standing O. Like, let's be real. This is his fans' first chance to celebrate Chris Tanev. He deserves a standing O. Jacob Markstrom might be a Vesna candidate. Right. I mean, Jacob Markstrom's on an incredible heater and was this club's back to back MVP. Well, and, and on that heater, Chris Tanner was the one player who hadn't been on the ice for a single goal allowed in nine straight games for the Calgary Flames. But listen, I, I know I know you got another show. We got to we got to get out of here. Ian Mendez, if you're looking for other pod options, Ian Mendez and Julian McKenzie. Welcome two time Olympic medalist Cheryl Pounder to the athletic hockey show on Monday. Craig and Cust- make sure to celebrate those three gentlemen on Thursday like they deserve it. Absolutely. Uh, Craig yeah. Custance and Sean Gentilly pay off their Olympic bet with the Monday show and their with their rendition of O Canada. And they welcome Everett Fitzhugh, the radio play by play voice of the Seattle Kraken, who Drancher say are says are a very, very well constructed team. That's Tuesday on the Athletic Hockey Show, and then <laughs> Elliot Friedman. I just said they're better constructed than Vancouver. Come well, on. there's that. That's El- damning with faint praise. Elliot Friedman visits Michael Russo on Straight from the Source. Meanwhile, as for us, thanks for listening to the Vancast. Please follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review. And right now, you can get annual subscriptions to The Athletic for just $1 a month for the next six months when you visit theathletic.com slash Vancast. Hey, we've got a late night Vancast. That returns Thursday post Flames Canucks. Thomas and I will get you ahead of the road trip because I know Thomas is traveling all day Friday, so we got to get oh, that I'm in Thursday actually. night. Oh, I'm you're not, not actually. Wallace Wallace's uh, injury, lower body injury, four to six weeks. Um, he needs too much care right now for wow. me to go. So I've uh, I've I've traded a uh, road trip through Minnesota and St. Louis for for a week in Manhattan. Harmon will be going on the road trip. Wow! In my stead. So we so we might you know see. I would have laughed at you previously that uh, that an animal affected your career that much, but. Now I'm in the same boat, so I can't laugh at you. Well, uh, it's 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 you know it's the whole family thing, right? It's like my wife works from home. Wallace needs too much care for one person who's also working. Like it, it just, you know, he really he really can't move much the next four to six weeks. Like he can't jump on furniture, he can't run around, so he needs a lot of minding. So we and might we just don't. So we might do this Friday morning, is what you're saying? I couldn't I couldn't leave my wife to do it alone. Like <laughs> I woke up this morning, I woke up this morning, and I was just like, I can't go. You are. He'd, he'd vomited twice in the night. Like he just wasn't right and uh you know my wife was like embarrassed she was like no don't you don't have to do that like i'm fine and i'm like i know you're fine but like he you know he needs us right so now, you said harman could you please go to new york for me and harman's like oh yeah 
Yeah. I, yes I, I messaged enough. him last night. I was like, would you be willing to swap this one for this one? He was like, yep. Yeah. No problem, bud. So <laughs> Harmon's going to be... Uh, Harmon's going to be having a nice time in Manhattan while I uh, while I cry that I'm not getting to Parm. <laughs> well, I look forward to doing the next show after the Calgary game, buddy. We'll talk soon. Happy well. Cheers.